All right, guys, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Um, the, the number of scriptures that we're going to cover are going to be just huge, but we're going to kind of walk through it. I just want to, as I read you this passage, I'm going to kind of add in some things as we go to kind of explain some stuff that's going on along the way, but uh, don't panic when you, when you see how much we're going to cover, because I think we're going to move through it pretty quick. If you remember last week, Paul was moving back toward Jerusalem. He said that the Holy Spirit had told him that uh, he was to go back to Jerusalem, and he says, I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but I've been warned by the Holy Spirit that... that um, that I'm going to, uh, to be arrested and then I'm going to be persecuted. Uh, remember last week we talked about those that tried to, to, to dissuade him from going. And, and he says, man, I'm ready to, to go and to suffer and even to die if I need to die for the cause of Christ. Every time Paul had gone to Jerusalem, uh, it had not ended well. He had gone back there a couple different times. And each time he went, it seemed like they would, uh, would turn against him. And part of that was that, that Paul was this great big zealous uh, Pharisee who was their job was to protect the Jewish faith, to protect the law, to protect uh, all the traditions of their fathers. And, and, and these guys were kind of seen as the, the spiritual guards that would stand, uh, stand guard. And there had always been people that would rise up and try to draw people away from Judaism. And the, the Pharisees saw Jesus as this, this nut who was coming and claiming to be God. They, they crucified him, and then all of a sudden his followers start trying to say that, that he's been resurrected, that he's alive. And, and, and the, the Pharisees and the Jews wanted to stomp out this, what they called this religious sect that was, was, was branching off of Judaism. And Paul was one of those persecutors. You remember his story, that he was persecuting the church. He was there when Stephen was stoned and killed. And, and then he was on his way to Damascus to arrest believers and to, to put them in prison for, for, for taking away from the Jewish faith. And... In that moment, in that journey is where God met him. And God's grace touched Paul and Paul's life began to change. And so when he goes back to Jerusalem, he's different. But he's rubbing shoulders with some of the same people that he grew up with. Some of the same guys that he was in class with. And, and, and if you know anything <laughs> about becoming a believer kind of post high school is that when you go back to meet your high school classmates and you're different than you were back then, they all kind of look at you like, wow, what? What happened to this guy? What, what, what? He's not who he used to be. Uh, so Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He's trying to get there before the, uh, the celebration of Pentecost. And Pentecost was originally instituted by God as a, as a, a, a celebration of the, uh, the first fruits that uh, would come in. And it was, a, it was a celebration of time for folks to bring their, their first big offering uh, as they would bring in their, their first crop uh, then they would bring part of that offering to the Lord and, and give it to the Lord by faith and saying, Lord, we, we know this is our, our first real taste of, of, of good fruit this year, but we're going to give some of that back to you in faith that as we give to you, that you're going to continue to bless us. And so Pentecost started off as this celebration of this first fruits. The Jews, by the time it reaches Paul's day, have kind of changed it to a celebration of the giving of the law by Moses. And so it's really changed its meanings from, from celebrating something brand new and, and, and grace-given, first fruits and the grace and the blessings of God, to this legalistic celebration of the giving of the legalistic law. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that when this transition begins to take place, it's, it's something that, that as, it, as it goes into... Uh, into effect, you, you see that, that the way that God had established it was going to be kind of a picture foreshadowing the, the coming of Christ, which was a great grace gift to the church. But also on the day of Pentecost was what? It was when what else was given to us? The Holy Spirit. Another bestowment of God's grace upon his church as the Spirit of God came to dwell in believers and brought to us grace gifts that we could then use to serve our, our community and serve our Lord and, 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 and honor God. And, and, and so it goes from this focus upon this, this first fruits, which was God's blessing upon the people and their offering back to God, which I think foreshadowed the giving of the Holy Spirit and then our serving of the Lord. Back into this, we're going to celebrate the giving of the law. I think it's a real dichotomy between grace and works. And Paul was going back there to celebrate the grace of God. It was a great celebration for Paul. But the Jews had something completely different in mind. They were going to celebrate the giving of the law to Moses. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter 21. 
Uh, verse 17, Paul is arriving here in Jerusalem. And, and again, let me just kind of walk with you through this. And as we go through it, I'm going to add some, uh, some details that will help explain some things. But we'll just kind of let the scripture uh, speak to us this morning. Chapter 21, verse 17, it says, When we come to Jerusalem, the brothers, the believers, uh, received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to visit with James and all the other elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So remember, Paul was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Now he's going back into Jerusalem where it is this Jewish hub. And he's reporting to the Jewish uh, believers, the believers who had been Jews in Jerusalem but were now our followers of Christ, all that God had done out on these missionary journeys. Paul's completed three missionary journeys, two different continents that he's covered with the gospel. And he's coming back and sharing with the, the, the Jerusalem church uh, all that God had been doing. And his focus here is on what God did, not what Paul did. It says, and when they heard this, they glorified God, and then they said to him, See, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. So these are Jews who have been converted to Christianity. There's thousands of them, they said, but they are all zealous for the law. Now, this is going to set up a little bit of an issue for, for Paul. When, when Jews became believers, they were not required just to ditch all their Jewish heritage. They were not required. The Bible didn't say they had to, to stop observing Jewish laws and, and, and Old Testament laws. They weren't required to do that. But the teaching of grace is that we're no longer bound to that, that we're no longer constrained by that, 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 that we are no longer slaves to the old covenant, but we've been brought into a new covenant with Christ. But a lot of these Jews who had become believers would still practice some of the ceremonial things that they had grown up and been accustomed to. Paul refers to those in some of his letters to, to um to some of the churches as being those weaker brothers who are still kind of enslaved or, or still feel this obligation to, to the things that were Jewish instead of realizing how much freedom that we've been given in Christ. Uh, Paul would say, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. In other words, when I'm around the Jews, I don't mind observing those things. We're not forbidden from, from participating in those things. Uh, but when I'm with a Gentile, I, I know that that's not necessary and I don't have to do that. And so I don't insist that the Gentiles do it. And so Paul would, would be very sensitive to these, these, what he would call weaker Jewish people who are weaker in their faith, still feeling like they had to do some of those old covenant things when Paul knew that we had been set free from that by grace. And so he's, he's being told by this, this, these church leaders Listen, these Jews that have come to Christ, man, they're, they're still zealous for the law. They're still trying to, to, to hang on to the law and still trying to do all those things. And, and he's just kind of telling Paul where they're at. And then he says this in verse 21. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Now, this is interesting here. When, when they, they use the phrase, they have been told, it's, it's the Greek word that we would get our word catechism from. And that word catechism would, would mean that it would have been drilled into them by repetition. Uh, it's, it's the passing on of tradition, the passing on of, of ideas by, by repetition again and again and again and again. And, and so he's saying these guys, it's been drilled into them. This idea, Paul that you're telling all the Gentiles and all the Jews that were living in Gentile lands to forsake everything Moses said, to, uh, to, to not circumcise their kids, and, um, and that they don't need to walk according to the customs anymore. Now, that's not an accurate statement. Paul, again, is not forcing Jews to forsake all of that. He's saying to them, we, we are well aware of our heritage, but by grace, we are set free from these things. And, and so what they're saying is not true, but it's these, these Judaizers who are trying to discredit Paul. And, and that's what the Jews who had become believers were being told about, about Paul. So that's going to set up a problem. So they ask this question in verse 22. So then what's to be done? The Judaizers are trying to, to undermine Paul's credibility. Now Paul's back in town. And they're going, Paul, what do we do? They will certainly hear that you've come. They'll, they'll know you're in town. So here's what we think you ought to do. Verse 23, do what we tell you. 
We, we got four men who are under a vow. They're taking a Nazarite vow. And we studied that a couple weeks ago where, where you make a commitment to the Lord, usually a 30-day commitment to the Lord. Uh, at the end of that, you would have your hair shaved and you would take the hair and, and present it as an offering. It was just a Nazarite vow that, that some Jews practiced. Uh, these four men were underneath this Nazarite vow. He says, take them, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And this will, uh, this will, then, thus all will know that there's nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So here's their solution. Paul, we got four guys that are in the middle of this vow. They've got about a week left on their vow. Uh, if you will go to the temple and you'll purify yourself, you go, well, why does Paul need to purify himself? Well, the Jews taught that if you spent any kind of length of time at all in the Gentile territories, that when you came back, you need to go through a purification rite because they believe that you brought some of that wickedness back with you. Now, again, that's not true. But Paul, not wanting to be a stumbling block to the Jews, says, I'll submit to that. I'll go to the temple and I'll go through the, the, the purification uh, that I need to go through to keep from being a stumbling block to the Jews. Paul is actually going to exercise a whole lot of grace here toward his, his, his fellow Jews. He's going to do things that are not required of him to do, but he sets aside his freedom in order to be able to remain a servant to those he's trying to reach. And so here he is, they're saying, look, you, you go in and get yourself purified, but then also offer to pay for these men who have, who have entered into this Nazarite vow. Pay their, their fees. Pay what's necessary for the sacrifices and those kind of things. And that'll let people know that you're not anti-Jewish law, but that you still practice this uh, yourself, that you're not uh, opposed to it, okay? And then they say, but as far as the Gentiles, we want you to know, the Gentiles who believe, we have sent a letter to them, and this is the letter that was the, the result of that Jerusalem council. It says the same thing it said back earlier in Acts, that, that, we, that they should abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. And we've covered all that before in this series, so I won't go back and, and dive into that again. But verse 26, it says, then Paul took them in, the next day, he purified himself along with them. He went into the temple. He gave notice when their days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering would be presented for each one of them. So Paul did exactly what these guys said. And this is an effort to try to, to buffer some of the opposition that's going to, to, to be stirred up against Paul. So the believers in Jerusalem knew what other people had been told. And they said, Paul, we think the best way to do this is to show them that the things that they've been drilled and the things that they've been taught are, are not accurate. That you're not insisting that everybody just abandon Judaism and everything that they've ever been taught in order to follow Jesus. So Paul agrees to this. And he goes in the temple. He does that. He, he lets them know when the days of purification are going to be fulfilled. And then it says in verse 27, uh, when the seven days, so this was about a week later, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews, listen to this, the Jews from Asia, okay? These are not even the Jerusalem Jews, but these are the Jews that lived in Asia. We think they're the Jews from Ephesus because a little bit later on it's going to mention a, a guy by name from Ephesus. So these Jews from Ephesus who would have been in town to celebrate Pentecost, okay, they recognized Paul. It says the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people, against the law, and against this place. Three things that, that Jews would get very upset about is if you go talk about the Jews, or if you go and you talk about the law, or you go and you talk about the temple. And so the three charges that these Asian Jews are going to make against Paul is that he is out there speaking poorly about us as Jews, poorly about uh, um, uh, the temple, and then poorly um, about... Um, Oh my gosh, I've lost my place, guys. The law. the law, thank you. Thank you. Somebody's listening. That's good. I'm just testing you, seeing if you're, if you're paying attention, okay? So here they are. They're, they're, they're trying to stir up the crowd, trying to work up the crowd. There is really nothing more scary than folks who are entangled in legalism and yet empty. That when they try, what they try to do, guys, is to take their legalism, their, their lists, and because they're still empty and they don't want anybody to know that they're empty, they begin to move the spotlight on somebody else's problems. 
They began to make up stories, began to, to make insinuations about other people, and they began to, to focus the spotlight on somebody else's shortcomings. And so what they're trying to do here is to stir up this crowd, and, and, and it's amazing to me how easily the Jewish crowds get stirred up and worked up. Remember with Jesus, he comes into town, and they're all crying, Hosanna. And, and then it's just no time at all before they're hollering, crucify. Paul comes back into town, and, and all it takes is a couple men to begin to, 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 to make these, these false claims against Paul. And the whole town gets stirred up. He, he says here that they, they, he, he speaks against the people, against the law, and against this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. And he has defiled this holy place. Now, there was, there was one or two reasons that the Romans would allow the Jews to execute somebody. And defiling the temple was one of the reasons that the Romans said that the Jews could execute somebody. So what this, these, these Asian Jews have done is they've come in in just a matter of minutes. They've whipped up the crowd. They've, they've presented three lies against Paul. And then they come back with this fourth one that's going to be the death sentence. And to say, he even defiled our temple, and he did so by bringing a non-Jew into the temple. Now, there was a place in the temple courts that Gentiles could go, but they couldn't go any farther. And, and if you were a Gentile who went beyond that, there, there was the, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, and then there was the place that the Jews could go. And it each worked a little bit closer to the, to the Holy of Holies there in the temple. If you were a Gentile and you crossed that line, you could be executed on the spot. And so they're making up this thing saying, Paul brought a Gentile into our Jewish temple. And he has defiled the temple because that, that Gentile brings in his wickedness with that. And it's defiled this holy place. So that's a serious charge they're making against Paul. And this is a reason that they made it. For they had previously seen Tromiphius, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they just supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So guilty by association. Paul's got a, a, a Gentile that he's walking through the city with, and people have seen him, and they've seen him with this guy. He's also from Ephesus, which would have been the men from Ephesus would have known that, that he was a Gentile. And so they whip up all these charges. They get the crowd really stirred up, and they begin to, to accuse Paul of something that they would have deemed worthy of death. Verse 30 says, then all the city was stirred up and all the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. Now, this is going to be a kind of a, a, an area of hypocrisy for the Jews. But they couldn't do to Paul what they wanted to do to Paul within the, the temple gates. Because it would defile the temple. So they're fixing to kill a guy, which is wrong. But we're going to shut the gate to make sure that we don't get caught and get wrong. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? We're about to execute Paul. We're about to kill Paul. But let's shut the gate so that we can say it was done outside the, the temple gate so that we won't be found guilty of doing something wrong. It, it just, it's, it's this circular thinking that just gets kind of, gets kind of crazy. And so here we go. And, and they're dragging him out. They shut the temple gates, which is, is the way they can protect themselves, they think. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune. Now, he's the leader of the Roman army that's occupied the city that is, is, is in charge of keeping peace in, in Jerusalem. This tribune would have been in charge of about 1,000 soldiers. And it says the word came to the tribune of, of the cohort, of the army, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So he at once took soldiers and centurions. Now, centurions would have overseen 100 soldiers. So we're talking plural. He took a couple centurions and probably their hundred guards apiece. So probably at least 200 guards that rush into the city to, uh, to kind of squelch this, this uproar that's taking place. And uh, it says, so he took the soldiers and the centurions and he ran down to them. And when they saw, the people saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So here they are trying to beat him to death. The soldiers are in this, this Fort Antonio, which is up over high, and it can look down into the temple courts, and they see what's, what's going on. They see this crowd rushing outside. They see them beating somebody, and they dispatch these guards, and they run down, and they stop them from beating Paul. So, again, uh, Paul is there. He's, he's being beaten. This prophecy 
that the Holy Spirit had given to him a couple different times, the prophecy that those other two that we looked at last week had told him about. Now these prophecies are starting to come true. Uh, remember Agabus, who, who was the prophet, said that he would be bound with chains. Like he took his belt and he tied him up. Remember last week we looked at that. And so that's fixing to happen here. It says, uh, he went down and they stopped him from beating Paul. Verse 33 says, and the tribune came up and he arrested him, arrested Paul, and ordered for, and ordered for him to be bound with two chains. And he inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, so he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Now they're taking him into the barracks to interrogate him. And sometimes if they didn't get the answers they were looking for, they would begin to torture these prisoners to be able to get the answer out of them. Um, and we'll talk about that just a little bit more here when we get to, to verse 24 in the next chapter. But it says they take him into the barracks, and it says in verse 35, when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. So the crowd's still trying to get it, Paul, even as they're dragging him off into the army barracks. And so here we, we see this crowd coming after Paul. They begin to try to beat him. The soldiers rush in. They rescue Paul. But the crowd continues to follow, and the crowd's still trying to get at Paul. And so these soldiers literally pick him up and begin to carry him into the barracks. Uh, Paul would have been defenseless. He's chained now. He can't fight back. He can't defend himself from the crowd. So it's the soldier's responsibility to take custody of him, to protect him as they, as they transport him. Uh, and so it says, when he came to the steps, uh, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people, uh, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. They're asking for the death penalty. They're not just saying put him in jail. But rid him from the face of the earth is what they're asking him to do. And so as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, to the leader, may I say something to you? But he says this in Greek. And the guy goes, oh, do you know Greek? Now, to us, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But in that day and time, if you were educated, uh, you knew Greek. And you could speak Greek fluently. This wasn't the common criminal. These guys are arresting Paul. They're making him look like a common criminal. But Paul's an educated guy. He's a smart person. He can speak couple different languages this doesn't fit their their profile of a of a man so he says can i say something to you and and the tribune replies he says are you not the egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led the four thousand men of the assassins out into the wilderness so this tribune thinks that he's got this dude that's been stirring up problems in jerusalem he thinks there's this this guy who's leading a group called the assassins they were called the assassins because what they would do would be to go into large Jewish crowds and they would take these short knives and they would rub up in the crowd and they would just kill a Jew. And as a Jew would drop to the ground, they would start mourning like, oh my God, what happened? And they would begin to act like they were part of the victim of this. So they could slide out of town while they're searching for whoever it was that just killed. And they would assassinate different Jews by stabbing them with a knife and then pretending to be a mourner while the crowds dispelled and they slipped away. And these guys had about 4,000 men in their group. And, and there was an Egyptian man that led them. And now all of a sudden, Paul's speaking Greek. And the guy goes, oh, you're not the Egyptian that I thought you were. We thought we had arrested the guy responsible for creating chaos in Jerusalem. But you're not that guy, are you? So he says, you're not that Egyptian. And Paul replied, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. And I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. So he gave him permission, and Paul stood on the steps, and he motioned with his hands to the people to be quiet. And when there was a, a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Now, again, Paul's trying to reach the Jews. He's not trying to defend himself as much as he's trying to share the gospel with these Jews. And so he's speaking to the, the, the tribune in Greek, because that's going to get that guy's attention. And now he stands on the steps. He begins to address the people. He speaks in Aramaic, the Hebrew language. And that gets the attention of the Jews going, okay, he really is one of us. Nobody else but the Jews would have really participated in that language. So now Paul's identifying with them. And it says when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And so he says to them, and Paul begins to share his testimony. We've, we've, we've heard his testimony many, many times. But I want you to listen to, to how he describes it to his own people. And I want you to hear the passion that Paul has for these guys because he's going to show great respect to them. He's going to show great honor to them, even though they just tried to beat him to death. He's standing before them, arrested, bound in chains. And yet Paul is still trying to reach the Jews. We, we've talked so many times in this series 
about all the things that Paul would go through and endure in order to have one more opportunity to share the gospel with the Jews. Paul took beating after beating after beating to be able to go back in the synagogue and continue to share the gospel. He went back to places where he was stoned and where he was beaten with rods and, and he kept going back to those places because he wanted the opportunity to lead his fellow Jews to Christ. And so here he is once again standing before the Jews. He's gotten permission to speak. And in chapter 22, uh, verse 1, it says he, he starts by saying brothers and fathers. He's speaking to them with respect. He's not chastising them. He's not speaking down to them. He's not judging them. He's treating them as his brothers and, and as his spiritual fathers that he grew up under. Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, just like y'all. I was born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but I was brought up in this town. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. You're, you're accusing me of, of, of blaspheming the law? I was raised being taught the law just like you guys were. And according to the strict manner of the law as our fathers were. And I was zealous for God as all of you are right now, this day. What, what's Paul doing He's saying to the Jews, guys, I've been there where you're at right now. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going through. I know what's running through your mind because it's the same thing that ran through my mind 20-something years ago. I was here. I was raised. I was taught what you've been taught. And I believe that completely. And, and I was just as zealous back then as you are today. He says, I persecuted the way I persecuted the thing that I'm now promoting to death. I would bind and deliver to prison both men and women, just as you're trying to do right now. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I got letters to the brothers and a journey toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them back in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I was on my way and I drew near to Damascus and about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you're persecuting. And at that moment, everything begins to change for Paul. Now those who were with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice of the one speaking to me. And, and I said, Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said to me, rise up and go into Damascus and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those that were with me and I came into Damascus and there was a man named Ananias, a devout man according to the law. He was well spoken of by the Jews that lived there. And he came to me and he stood by me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And in that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his voice from his mouth. And listen to what he's saying that he's going to do. You are going to receive your sight. You are going to know God's will. You're going to see the righteous one, see Christ. And you're going to hear a voice from his mouth. And you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. Now, why are you waiting? Get up. Be baptized. Rise. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Call upon his name. And when I had returned to Jerusalem, this was three years later, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. Remember this? I, I saw him, the Lord speaking to me and said, hey, make haste. Get out of Jerusalem because they will not accept your testimony about me. Remember Paul kind of argued with the Lord for a minute? Lord, but they, they know my past. They know where I've been. Surely they're going to listen to me. And so he relates that. He says, I said to them, Lord, they, they know um, that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and I approved it. And I watched over the other's garments, over the garments of those who killed him. He's relating this, this testimony. Now, Paul hasn't been in Jerusalem in 20 years. These people may or may not remember who he was. But he's saying, guys, I was one of you and I was arguing the same thing that you're arguing today. But man, I met Jesus and everything began to change. 
that happens for us when we go back and have a class reunion or we go back and we see some people that we haven't seen in a long, long time. And, and maybe in that time period, something's changed. Jesus has come to live inside of us. And, and we go back to those people and, and, and we almost need to reintroduce ourselves. And, and, and they don't understand what's taking place in us. And that's an opportunity for us to share our story and say, hey, if you remember, I used to be like you. We ran together and we did those things together. And there's a lot of things that I did that, that man, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of now. But there's a lot of things that I did that we did together. Well, why are you different now? Well, this is how I met Jesus. And this is what God did to change my heart. And that's what Paul is saying to these guys. Listen, we were, we were taught in the same school by the same people. We were all zealous. And, 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 and you guys are, are, are right where I was. But what's made the difference has been the grace of God that met me on the road to Damascus. That changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I'm different now. I'm different because of Jesus. I wonder today if you could say that. If you were to go back and meet somebody that you were in high school with or in junior high with, and they hadn't seen you in all these years, if when they reconnected with you, I wonder if they would see a different man, a different woman, than they saw all those years before. Would they even notice that something had changed? Could they listen to your conversation and realize that something in your heart's different? Could they look at your life and the way that you live your life every single day, the way that you honor and respect and treat other people, that that's different now than it used to be back then? And if you are different, would they, would they, would they see that and would they notice that? Because see, some of us just kind of attach the title Christian to our life. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But nothing ever changes. And you go back and you meet somebody that hadn't seen you in 20 years and they still don't see a difference between who you were before Jesus and who you are after Jesus. And if that's the case, then something's not right. Paul says, I was one of you. Walking right where you're walking. Doing exactly what you're trying. I was doing to others what you're trying to do to me. But Jesus changed everything. I was even there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr was stoned to death. And I gave my approval to that. And then Paul says these words that just inflame the crowd. Look what he says. And he said to me, God said to me, I want you to go, Paul, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. For the Jews, that meant that Paul was placing the Gentiles on the same level with them. That the Gentiles could know God the way Jews knew God. That the Gentiles deserved forgiveness the way Jews deserve forgiveness. That the Gentiles could become God's chosen people as the Jews had become God's chosen people. And that was blasphemous. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. It says in verse 22, up to this word, up to this point, they listened to him. <coughs> but then when they heard that, they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He doesn't deserve to draw another breath. For he should not be allowed to live. What are they saying? Kill him. He has just blasphemed all Judaism by saying that God spoke to him. And God said to take the gospel, the good news, to those dogs, the Gentiles. This shows their prejudice. This shows their, their, their belief that they were somehow uh, uh, above all of that and that the Jews were, were at a level that the Gentiles could never, ever be. And so they call for Paul to be taken away and to be killed. They begin to shout, throw off their cloaks, fling dust into the air. This is the Jewish way of protesting. And the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. Here we go. Paul's going to be now taken off the steps on the front of the barracks, taken into the barracks, and they're going to beat him for a little while and interrogate him. They're going to torture him until he talks and admits to something that's worthy of the death penalty that the Jews have just said that he deserved. So, it says they took him in to examine him by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. What have you done to these people? What have you done that they're ready to have you killed? 
Now guys, listen, this is going to be a whole other thing. Paul has been beaten by the Jews, okay? And we talked about the whips that they used back then, not the whips with the bones and the, and, and the, the metal on the end of it like Jesus was. They, they used the cat of nine tails. They talked, you heard them talk about that, this whip that they used on Jesus, which would, would have this, this big strand of, of leather, and they would have metal and bone tied into the end of it so that when it hit the flesh, it just, it just ripped it to pieces. Paul's never been beaten like that before. But this is the way that Romans interrogated people. This is what Jesus went through when his flesh was mutilated to the point Scripture says nobody could even recognize that he was a human, okay? They take Paul into the barracks and they stretch Paul out and they're getting ready to beat him with the same type of whip that Jesus was beat with, okay? So they take him in to examine him by flogging to find out why they're shouting against him, why they want him dead. And when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul says to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? The Roman law says that a Roman citizen had protection, that he could not be beaten until he had been put on trial. He could not be beaten until he was found guilty. And it was a protection that was offered to Romans, but not to anybody else. And so if Paul's not a Roman, he's fixing to get beat to death. Most subjects would die at this beating. This was the way they would put you to death, is to, to beat you until you were so bloody that you couldn't recover. Infection would set in and kill you, or blood loss would kill you. But most people didn't walk away from this flogging. And Paul looks at him and says, uh, are you really supposed to do this to a Roman citizen? Now, again, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you and I, but, but here's what was at stake. This tribune, this guy that was over the thousand soldiers that ruled all over Jerusalem, okay, if he allowed a Roman citizen to be beaten without having had the proper trial and been convicted, one of two things could happen. He could lose his job, which was severe for him, or he himself could be put to death. And Paul knew that this Roman citizenship could provide him some protection. And so as they stretch him out, I can almost see Paul just letting them get him kind of taut, and they're getting ready to start the beating, and Paul says, oh, by the way, one question. Uh, do y'all do this to all Roman citizens? Are you allowed to do this? Is this legal for you to have? Have they changed the law since I've been gone? And dude, this guy begins to melt. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Is it lawful for you to flog a man who's, been a, who's a Roman citizen uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he, he, he went, he ran to this tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? You are about to mess up your whole career and you're about to put your own life at stake. What are you about to do by ordering that we beat this man? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune now, this, this top guy, he comes to Paul and he says to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says, yes. And the tribune answers, well, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. Now, Roman citizenships weren't legally for sale. You couldn't just go buy yourself a Roman citizenship. But you could bribe people, contribute to their political campaigns, if you will, and you would get certain privileges. You would get a certificate saying that you are now a Roman citizen and you would get the protection of the government because of a bribe. And so he says, I got mine by this large sum. In other words, I bribed my way into getting my Roman citizenship. But Paul says, well, I'm one by birth. Oh, boy. So you've obtained yours legally, Paul, even though the tribune had obtained his illegally. So those who were about to examine him withdrew. They withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was also afraid. Why was he afraid? Because this would have been a costly mistake for his career, maybe even his life. So everybody leaves the room. For they realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had already bound him, which was more than they were supposed to do to Paul. Paul, in the middle of a bad situation, teaches us how to maintain the proper attitude and the right behavior. Sometimes, guys, we are put to the test where our Christian faith, we are given these opportunities to, to either stand for what's right or to compromise to make a statement. We've been building on this building, and uh, 
needless to say, we've had some issues that we've had to try to deal with. And it's been quite taxing, uh, quite challenging, to be honest with you, uh, to maintain Christian integrity, to maintain our Christian witness, and yet to get the builders to do what they said they were going to do in the contract. And at one point, when I'm on the phone with the, uh, the manager of the company, the vice president, and the owner of the company in a conference call, they're getting very hostile, very loud, very ugly. And everything in me just wanted to go right where they were and to get louder and to get uglier and to get my point across. And yet I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, Rob, you cannot compromise your testimony, even if it means you get beat out of something on this. <laughs> and I remember saying to those gentlemen, I said, guys, listen, I want you to know something. I am a believer in Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm a believer. And I'm not going to cuss you, and I'm not going to scream at you, and I'm not going to get vulgar the way that you are. But I do not want you to mistake that to think you're going to walk on me. And they got a little quieter. And we got what we wanted. And we didn't have to go where they went. But it sure is tempting, isn't it? It, it sure is when, when, when you get slapped to want to slap back. It, it sure is tempting to, to just want to forget who you are and just go after these people. And I know for Paul, as he's back there with his Jewish brothers, with the fathers in the faith, those who, who had spoken into Paul's life earlier when he was still a Jew, don't you know when they started dragging him outside that city and beating him to a pole, that there was everything in his flesh that just wanted to fight back and to let them have a piece of his mind? Don't you know that, that, that when he, he's standing up there and he's trying to speak to them and, and, and they're accusing him and nobody can even get their story straight about what he's done and, and all these things that have been drilled into the heads of the, the Jews about who Paul was and what he was teaching, don't you know there was just something inside of him that just wanted to lash out and to, to give him peace of his mind? But Paul does something different here. There's five things I want to share real quick that, that he did that I think as believers... Uh, we ought to be doing when we face difficult circumstances. Sometimes you ask somebody, well, how are you doing? They say, well, under the circumstances. Okay, we're not called to live under the circumstances. We're called to live above that, right? We're not a call to allow the circumstances to dictate our behavior, but to, to allow our relationship with Christ to dictate our behavior. And so what we see here are some things that Paul did, and, and, and I think these are things that if we can, can, can file away and do when circumstances turn bad, you, you get a bad doctor's report, you get a, a, a bad thing that happens to somebody in your family, or you get something going on that's just a tough situation to deal with, and everything in you wants to just lash out and lose your religion. Maybe we need to remember these things that Paul displayed for us. The first thing is that Paul knew that he was right where he needed to be in the center of God's will. He knew that God had called him to go back to Jerusalem. He knew that God said, when you go back there, there's going to be hardships and there's going to be an arrest and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty, Paul. And Paul gets back there and what happens? Exactly what the Holy Spirit told him was going to happen. Confirmation that he was hearing from the Spirit and he was right where the Spirit of God wanted him to be. You and I need to be living in a relationship with the Holy Spirit in such a way that we're, we're right where the Holy Spirit wants us to be. That we're doing what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday from Colorado. He's a pastor, and, and he's the guy I'd ask you to pray for who finished a sermon, walked down the, the platform, and was told that he was no longer pastor of the church, that the elders had gotten together the night before and voted him out. And he was talking about the struggle that he had to want to lash back and to fight back. Um, and he said in the middle of all that, they, they chose to maintain their integrity and just trust the Lord. A church... 20 miles away, had been watching this church take off and grow under his leadership, and had been watching this pastor, and they heard that he had been fired and terminated, and they called him and said, we want you on staff. He's gone from a church that, that was running uh, 400 when he took it, he got it to about 800, to a church now that's 18,000. Yeah, 18,000. He's a teaching pastor who stands up and preaches on Sundays now. But he maintained his integrity. 
And he says, Lord, I know that if I just maintain my integrity and I walk with you, that you're going to take care of the details. You're going to take care of the things that are, that are going on in, in my world. And Paul knew that he was where he needed to be. He knew he was in the center of God's will. He was willing to do whatever God had on the agenda for, for Paul to do. And if that meant hardships and arrests, then Paul was more than willing to do that. He'd already said, I'm willing to die for the cause of Christ if that's what's necessary. So he knew he was in God's will. And you and I need to know that. When times get tough, we need to know, am I where God wants me to be? And sometimes when we look at the difficulties of life, we, we think this can't be God's will because it's too hard. Where in Scripture do you find that? That if I'm walking in God's will, it's going to be all easy. Prosperity gospel tells you that, right? But, but not the Christian gospel. The gospel says if you want to live a godly life, you're going to suffer some persecution. You need to know that you're right where God wants you to be because when things get tough, if you don't know this is where God wants me to be and this is what God's called me to do, then you're going to bail out. But when you know you're where you need to be, you can see that through. The second thing that Paul did that we ought to learn to do is that Paul used his circumstances as an opportunity to display the gospel. Instead of losing it and lashing out, he looked for an opportunity one more time to share with the Jews the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shared his testimony, how God had changed his life and what God could do for them. He, he, he looked at this and said, okay, Lord, it's, it's an angry crowd, but it's a crowd. It, it, it's a group that wants me dead, but, but I get one more chance to speak to them before they, they kill me. How many times do we get in bad situations and we forget that there's others watching Something goes wrong medically and we get mad at the doctor and we get mad at the nurses and we get frustrated. They can't fix us instantly and, and we lose that Christian testimony because we're just a little agitated and we think we have a right to be mad. They, they didn't do it the way that I thought they ought to do it or as fast as they should do it or in the way that they should do it. And, and sometimes we just we forget that these, these crises sometimes are an opportunity for us to display the grace of God to those that don't deserve it. To display the love of God for those who may have done something wrong to us. And, and so Paul saw these difficult circumstances as an opportunity to display the love of Christ and the grace of Christ. He was preaching to a crowd that was, that was calling for his death. He says, okay, before I die, can I just tell you one more time about the love of Christ? What about us? Difficult times. Do we still display this, this, this grace and this love? Of God. The third thing he did was he reached out to his persecutors. He, he reached out to those that were trying to kill him. And he had a genuine love for them. He called them his brothers, his, his fathers. He's not antagonistic. He's not, he's not screaming and hollering and accusing them. He's saying, guys, been there and done that and something happened to me that that wasn't me it was God doing it and and and, and here's what God can do for you he says you're, you're trying to beat me to death because you're zealous for the law I understand that I beat people and I drug them into jail I chained them I did what you've done he chose to bless and not curse he reflected the attitude of Jesus that when he was Arrested, Jesus didn't fight back. He continued to love. In fact, as he hung on the cross, remember what he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And Paul begins to display that attitude of Christ even to those who were hostile against him. The fourth thing Paul did was he kept pointing back to God. This is what God did. This is not, I didn't want to just ride into Jerusalem and had this idea. Man, I'll tell you what. It wasn't me. It was God that met me and God that changed me and God that did this. It was God that gave me this mission. It was God that called me to do what I'm trying to do. And, and all I've been trying to do now is to follow the call of God on my life. This is a God thing, Paul would say. And see, he, he exalts the Lord. And finally, he maintains this selfless love for the Jews. It was Paul that said, man, if I could give up my salvation and that would guarantee that the Jews came to know Jesus, I would do that for them. I want my brothers in Christ, to, I mean, my Jewish brothers to come to Christ and to have that relationship with him. And, and Paul maintains throughout this whole event, he maintains this, this selfless love for other believers. 
It was the love for the Jews that kept bringing him back to Jerusalem again and again and again, even though every time he came, it was disastrous for Paul. Every time he came, it was a, another death threat upon his life. He was willing to, to, to humble himself and to go into the Jewish temple and to go through the cleansing rituals, even though he knew that hanging out with the Gentiles hadn't made him unclean. He was willing to be humble. He was willing to love. He was willing to serve. He was willing to, to even pay for these other men who were still going through some of those, uh, those old Jewish uh, rituals. And his, his love for the Lord kept him faithful, kept him usable, so that God could use him even in the most difficult circumstances. So I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what you may be facing tomorrow or the next day or next month or next year. But I pray that when you go through the, the difficulties, when you go through these tough things that are sure to come, that you'll remember, I don't have to sacrifice my testimony. I can be used of God even in the difficult times. I can be used of God, especially in those difficult times, when the world would look at me and go, how do you do this? How, how do you get that kind of a diagnosis and remain hopeful? How do, you, how do you have somebody attack you that way and still remain calm? How do you do this and maintain your integrity? And then you get to give glory to God and say, you know what? This is not me. Who I am is who I was before I met Christ. And who I am today is all about what Jesus has done that whole time. We live in a difficult world. We live among difficult people. Shoot, let's just be honest. We are difficult, okay? Every one of us, at one time or another. I know, Brandy. I know, some of us are close, but... Here's the deal, okay? We live among difficult people. We are difficult people. There's going to be difficulties. We live in a sinful world that's under a curse. Life is not going to be easy. And it may even become more difficult when you choose to walk hand in hand with the Lord. Because that puts you at odds with other people who aren't. How are you going to respond in those difficult moments? Paul teaches us how to do that here. He teaches us what it means to, to, to live above our circumstances. To, to live in a way that God can get the glory even in our most difficult times of life. So tomorrow you're going to head back to work. And God may give you an opportunity right off the bat to choose between letting it rip or honoring God. Tell them what you think or doing what God sent you there to do. Your, your workplace, it's your mission field. It's not a mistake that God's put you at work where you're at work. He wants you to be light in a dark world. And he wants you to take the gospel where you work, where you shop, where you live, in your home. And, and so we've got to decide, how am I going to handle the difficult circumstances? And I think Paul shows us that here. We continue to love. We continue to point people back to Christ. We, we continue to say, you know what, I, I understand where you're at. Because I've been there and done that. But Jesus changed that for me, and I think Jesus can change that for you. So don't sacrifice your testimony just to get what you want. What we want ought to be to glorify God. And I can't get that if I sacrifice my testimony. Right? Let's pray together.